We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 23. Father, I pray that you would um, feed us from your word today. We are needy people, and our greatest need is Christ. And so I pray that you would show us Christ even from the law, that you would show us the good news of Jesus Christ even from the law of God. Feed us from your word today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wondered about um, Chinese New Year? Why is it celebrated? for a couple of weeks, I think for 15 days, at the end of January and into early February. Have you ever wondered why, Eastern, why, why Orthodox Easter falls a week or so after the Easter that we celebrate? Have you ever wondered why Easter moves around? Sometimes it's in April, sometimes it's in March, but Christmas is always set on December 25th. This sounds absolutely crazy, but um, back in the, way back in the 1900s, my family's telephone, and, and we had only one for all of us, um, it used to be attached to the wall, and it had a cord. Uh, you couldn't take it with you. You couldn't take pictures with it. You actually had to dial the numbers. And hanging on the wall... Next to the telephone was a, a paper calendar. Ours usually had a picture of a, an antique car or, or a muscle car. And that was where we looked to find out when Easter was, what day of the week Christmas fell on, and, and, and so forth. That was the extent, at least of my family's, calendar research. But the origin of the calendar, it actually involves... Um, astronomy and mathematics and religion and, and history. Ancient calendars were, were based on the phases of the moon and the solar year. There have been hundreds of different calendars throughout history. And many different, different cultures actually developed their own calendars, such as the Hebrew calendar, the Egyptian calendar, the Greek calendar, the Chinese calendar, the Babylonian calendar. There were hundreds of others. Some of them are still actually in use by various cultures even today. Well, the calendar that we use in our culture originated with the Roman calendar, which was established somewhere around 753 B.C. But that original Roman calendar, for example, December only had 30 days, and the year only lasted 304 days. And so you can see where the the seasons, if you're, if you're taking 60 or so days out of the year, the seasons would eventually get mixed up. July would not be hot and sunny for long. Um, so it was revised over time until we get to what we have today. But um, you already know this. I'm not here to give you a, list, a lesson in the history of calendars. But I say this to point out that mankind has long tried to catalog the passage of time. The chapter of Leviticus that we're continuing in this morning is important for us because it establishes the appointed feasts and festivals for the children of Israel. And so therefore it serves actually as, a, as an inspired calendar of the history of redemption. 
And so the holidays that we're going to be reading about today, the feasts that we're going to be looking at, they were observed by the nation of Israel each year, year after year. And there were seven of them, plus the weekly Sabbath that we looked at last week. They were precisely spaced. They were precisely dated because they represented God's calendar, which was the program on which He operates. This is the the timetable of events by which Yahweh is moving through redemptive history year after year. Most of us have calendars where we we plan, where we keep track of our schedules and they guide us through life day after day. And God also has a, a calendar, a program of events, and He's precisely moving along its timeline. And so it should be encouraging to us when we read a passage like we're going to here in a moment because it helps us to understand that God's program is right on schedule. Things are not out of control regardless of what we read in the headlines. When it comes to our calendars, we usually think in terms of work and rest, right? Everybody's working for the weekend. The same is actually true for the people of Israel. But we we think in terms of seasons, summer vacation, spring break, back to school. Or or we think in terms of long weekends. In fact, um, our national holidays are often shaped around long weekends, aren't they? Like Memorial Day and Labor Day and so forth. But the feasts of Israel, they were not mere holidays to observed to be observed near the, uh, on the nearest Monday so that you can get that long weekend. Each festival was a symbolic occasion designed to teach a truth that God wanted to convey to His people, to remind them of His covenant faithfulness and His plan of redemption. That's why they're spaced and, and timed and, and regulated. That's why their observance was specifically appointed and carefully planned by the Lord. That's why he made this a part of his law, actually. These were to be conscientiously and meticulously observed. And as I said last week when we started this chapter, the theme of Sabbath rest runs all through these festivals. They were to be celebrations of God's redemption. Not just that he had saved them from slavery in Egypt, but that he had redeemed them to the promised land. Of course, this is a picture of our redemption from slavery to sin and to the promised land of the kingdom of heaven. So Leviticus chapter 23 I'm going to read this here in just a second, but as you look, kind of as you let your eyes roll down over the page there, um, what you might notice, the editors of our English Bibles in putting this together, they divided the chapter up so that each appointed time, each festival, uh, has its own section, and that's helpful. Um, But the chapter really kind of divides the Hebrew calendar into, into three sections. And so verses 1 to 3 gives us instructions regarding the weekly Sabbath. We looked at that last week. Verses 4 down through verse 22 runs from Passover to Pentecost. 
That's the first half of the year. And then verses 23 to 44 is the second half of the year. So think spring and fall. So instead of reading the whole thing at once, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this into the couple of sections there. And so, but I'm going to start at the beginning. So verse, I'm going to read verses 1 through 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. But you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering uh, with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hin. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain parched or fresh until this same day. You shall have uh, brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. And you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour and shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. You shall present uh, with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish, one bull from a herd and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. And they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap of your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them on the field, uh, you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So, in the midst of ordinary life, um, the people of Israel were surrounded by this concept, by the, by the hope of Sabbath rest. The Sabbath was, was built not only into their week, but also into their, 
yearly festival calendar. And so when we get to chapter 25 and a few weeks from now, or Lord willing, when we get to chapter 25, we're going to learn about Sabbath years and, and even something called a year of jubilee. The point is that the, the concept of Sabbath rest is all over these chapters of the law. And I want to remind you that the gift of the Sabbath was a sign of God's covenant promises with His people. So in Exodus chapter 31, verses 16 and 17, we read this, Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day He rested and was refreshed. He rested from His creative work because everything He made was very good. But immediately after that sign was given, um, in fact, in Exodus 32, the very next chapter, immediately after that sign was given, we read of Israel's sin of idolatry with the golden calf. This becomes a common theme for the people of God. God pledges faithfulness and rest for His people, and the people straight away do works of sin and unfaithfulness. But thankfully, it doesn't stop there. Because if you're, as you're reading through the story in Exodus, Moses intercedes in chapter 33. He reminds God of his covenant, not because God needed to be reminded. It was really for our benefit, God's pledge of faithfulness. And so in chapter 34, God instructs Moses to make new tablets of the law, and then he renews his covenant pledge with the people. And he tells them in Exodus 34, we're not going to read the whole thing, he basically says all of this. In Exodus chapter 34, he tells them to keep these festivals, to keep these feasts, because, and this is why, Exodus 34.10, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels such have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. That is, bring them into and conquer the promised land. And then even more than that. Now, this is going to seem like a bit of a left turn right here. But this is why it's so important that we celebrate the Lord's Supper as often as we can. We do it every week. It's because God, through Jesus Christ, has pledged His covenant faithfulness and rest for His people. And yet we leave here on Sunday afternoons and straight away do works of sin and unfaithfulness, don't we? Yet as the Apostle John writes, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. He takes our sin upon Himself and removes it from us completely. And not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. All who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim Christ's death. You proclaim His propitiation for your sin and unfaithfulness. We need this covenant renewal every week because we sin before Moses comes down off the mountain. Because we sin before we get home on Sunday afternoon. Before you get out of the car this afternoon, some of you will have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I say some of you. That's a collective you. I'm in the you. (laughs) So as part of their covenant pledge to the Lord, the people of Israel were called to keep this calendar of festivals that revolved around this idea of a Sabbath rest. It's almost as if God was preparing them for something, something that was much bigger in scope. He was not only preparing them for their wilderness wanderings, which, by the way, at this point, they don't even know about yet. He was also preparing them for their struggle with faithfulness when they do arrive in the promised land. This is why these laws in chapter 23 are proclaimed to the people. Did you notice that? And not specifically to the priests. See, in Numbers, chapters 28 and 29... They go through these same feasts and festivals, but it gives the instructions for the priests. It details uh, which animals were to be sacrificed, which days, etc. But here, they're mostly just kind of, uh, almost just passing references to food offerings, which are those sacrifices that the priests would handle. This was for the people to understand why we are doing this, why we are maintaining this festival calendar. And and then one other point that I want to make right here before we look at these. Last week when we talked about the weekly Sabbath, one of the differences um, between the weekly Sabbath and these festivals is that the Sabbath was to be observed wherever the people were, uh, even in their own dwelling places. And some of these are the same. But most of these festivals required the people, or at least the heads of the households, uh, to travel to the tabernacle or later the temple, to appear together before the Lord. Now, the context of this is important. The Lord is preparing the people of Israel for their life in the promised land. But this family of 12 brothers has become a people, a nation of 12 tribes when they were in Egypt. And when they come into the promised land... Each tribe, except for the Levites, but each tribe will be given their own allotment of land. So these festivals are designed to help to establish and to maintain the people, the people of Israel, as a community of believers. They serve to to bolster the unity of the nation of Israel. Of course, we know, if we know anything about the history of the nation of Israel later here, We know that they will sin. Their sin will eventually divide them. But these festivals are designed, among other reasons, to keep them united as one nation under God. See, several times a year, these heads of households and and sometimes whole families would assemble at the sanctuary for worship. Coming together in community is an important part of the shaping of the community. The same is true for us. See the verses on the screen? I wanted them up there so that you could just give you something to look at and meditate on and think about. 
I wanted them in front of your eyes while we work through this. Consider, for example, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, these, these festivals uh, chartered the, uh, the essential aspects of God's redemptive work. Year by year, these God's saving acts, they were, they were reenacted, beginning in the spring with their deliverance from slavery by the blood of the Passover lamb. So let's look at the spring festivals, beginning with Passover. Verse 5, and let me read 4 and 5. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. Well, there's not much more here about it. But Exodus chapter 12 tells us that the, that the Hebrew year begins with the Passover. Verse 5 here really tells us nothing else about it. But these Israelites, this generation of people, the, these specific people knew full well that this was to commemorate their redemption from slavery. This was the very generation that had experienced the Passover. Not that long before this. Exodus 12, verses 11 to 13 says this, In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is the mercy of God. Imagine the fear. Even though they were trusting in God, imagine the fear and the, the sense of dread and doom that they felt when the angel of the Lord went through the land, killing the firstborn of the Egyptians. This is the mercy of God that he had passed over them, and that mercy was never to be forgotten. And then the Passover, one quick verse on it here, the Passover leads right away into the Feast of Unleavened Bread, verse 6. And on the 15th day of the same month, is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. First day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. And on the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. This feast commemorated the fact that immediately following the Passover, the Israelites were told to get out of Egypt quickly. Again, in, in Exodus chapter 12, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders, and they ran. And they ran for their lives, and they ran for their freedom. Now, the word for feast here can also be sort of um, almost a literal translation is actually like, like something we would get the word pil pilgrimage from. And so later in their history, this festival, which is called 
Um, the Feast of Weeks. This festival is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Later is the Feast of Weeks. Later, even from that, is the Feast of Booths. We'll get there. They were always celebrated in Jerusalem at the temple. Those who lived outside the city would travel in. We see this in the gospel accounts with Jesus and his disciples. They go to Jerusalem for some of these feasts, particularly this one connected to the Passover when Jesus goes there and is arrested. Well, here, on the first and last days of this feast, no ordinary work was to be done. To be done. Uh, remember, this is about, this is a reminder of Sabbath rest. Instead of doing their ordinary work, the people assembled to remember their flight from Egypt, to remember their redemption. But it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that's, that's not just simply God's way of saying, uh, remember when you had to carry your bowls and your jackets? Those were good times. Those were the days. See, leaven often represents a spread. A spreading, a spreading of iniquity or impurity, sin. And sin, unchecked, spreads and infects the whole camp eventually. And so the Apostle Paul will pick up on this idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He actually does several times, but in 1 Corinthians 5 verses 6 to 8 he says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a, a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So this festival is about redemption and purity. This is about the purging of corruption for a life of purity. It's about repentance and the fruits of repentance. That leads us straight into the next festival, which is the Feast of the First Fruits. That's verses 9 to 14. And scholars are they're actually kind of divided about this one. Um, either it is a separate festival taking place shortly after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or it might take place in the middle of of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Notice verse 11 says that it takes place on the day after the Sabbath. So it could be in the middle of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's different commentaries put it in either place. But regardless, this was to be done as a thankful acknowledgement of God's grace toward his people. Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, is about God's mercy and the transformation of, of purging the evil from among us. Now we are going to celebrate God's grace toward us. This was to become their practice, it even says here, when they get to the promised land. So we can see God's mercy in their salvation from slavery and death in the Passover and His grace in the provision of the land that was promised to their fathers. And remember, this is still in the springtime. Um, this is the first fruits of the barley harvest. And combined with the burnt offering and the grain offering that are talked about in verses 12 and 13, they were, to, uh, they were to bring this to the Lord before they ate any themselves. Uh, consider Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, which says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. See, the point of this feast is that it is given after they settle in the promised land. We could 
We could put it this way. In the Passover, they celebrate their redemption, then repentance, purging the leaven of sin. And now, now they get to celebrate a, a, a new life by giving to the Lord the first fruits of his abundance. This is one of the practical ways in which we follow Jesus' command to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have barns filled with plenty and vats bursting with wine. It means that you will have those things spiritually. That you will have an abundant life in Christ. Well, seven weeks later, 50 days, and now we're in uh, on our calendar somewhere between May or June, we come to the Feast of Weeks, and you can see where the name comes from. Um, later, it will become known as simply Pentecost, right? Pentecost, five uh, pentagram, right? Think five, uh, 50 days. And so this feast marked the end of the, of the grain harvest, and the celebration is actually pretty straightforward. Once again, the people were to express their thanksgiving for the harvest, although this time it's for wheat, which is why they, they brought an offering of loaves. They made bread and brought an offering. And if you notice verse 17, the loaves are to be baked with leaven. Now, here's what we need to point out. Leaven doesn't always represent sin. It really represents a, a spreading and a growth which sin does if it is left unchecked. But listen to what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, he tells this quick little parable. One verse. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Just consider that statement. Picture it. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Keep that in mind. See, this, this feast, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, it was a big celebration. It had multiple offerings. But I want you to notice two details. The first is in verse 21. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generation. This was an assembled time of resting from their work as well as for worship. But also look at verse 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. The Lord provides, yes. This is a celebration of that. And he typically provides through ordinary means. And so even now in the church, we are devoted to the, to the breaking of bread, Right? We are devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. But notice this. Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, connect all of these metaphors, all of these images. 
He also said, not only did he say the fields are white for harvest, he also said the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid three, in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Acts chapter 2 says this. This is how the chapter starts. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, that is the disciples, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them other utterance. And what was the result of that? The result was that Peter stood up and preached the gospel. And then a great harvest Verse 40 to 42 says, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Because the fields are white for harvest, the kingdom of heaven has continued to spread like leaven in a clump of flour. And funnily enough, the gates of hell have, have not yet ever prevailed against it. And never will. Well, once this, high, this hot and dry summer comes to an end, once the olives and the grapes have all been picked, the Israelites began looking forward to the winter uh, rainy season. So let's look briefly at the fall festivals. I'm going to read 23 to the end now. These are the fall festivals. Verse 23, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest. A memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. You shall not do any work on that very day. It is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves. On the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from evening to evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this uh, seventh month, and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each in, on its proper day. Besides the Lord's Sabbath, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your freewill offerings, which you give to the Lord. 
On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, you shall have gathered in the produce of the land. You shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of lofty trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in the booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in the booths, that your generation may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. So, on the seventh, in the seventh Hebrew month, which in our calendar would be um, the end of September and into October, when the agricultural year has come to an end, trumpets would sound and the people would assemble for a time of Sabbath rest. They would cease all ordinary work and they would bring offerings to the Lord. This blast of trumpets was a proclamation that the harvest was complete. It was also a call to worship, a, a, a call, a summons to enter into his presence. This is the trumpet that we're waiting for. This is the trumpet that we are waiting for. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair, when the saved of the earth shall gather over on the other shore and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. On that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise and the glory of his resurrection share, when his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. And until then, we call you to worship each Lord's day to proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. And so let us labor for the Master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all His wondrous love and care. Then when all this life is over and our work on earth is done and the role is called up yonder, we'll be there. We're looking forward to that, that great ingathering of souls when that role is called up yonder. That requires an atonement, a day of atonement. We looked at this in depth back in chapter 16. But these instructions here, which are verses 26 to 32, they focus on the, on the preparation for the day. And it says that the people are to afflict themselves. That just means a, a total fast. All food. One writer put it this way. All pleasures or comforts they normally enjoyed, which are incompatible with repentance, confession, and atonement. They were not simply to, to just observe, just watch the priests offering the sacrifices. 
They were actually active participants through this um, self-affliction, through this fasting. But it wasn't just penance, right? This wasn't just a penance. They were participating in faith that the Lord would forgive. They were humbling themselves before God, and they were drawing near to Him through this atoning sacrifice. I've said before that the Lord's Supper, when we come to communion to the table, it is a celebration. But it's a celebration kind of in a strange way because it's a celebration of Jesus' death. And because he is the propitiation for our sins. It's a celebration of our atonement. The penalty has been paid once and for all. And then five days after the Day of Atonement, they were called to celebrate the Feast of Booths, or some versions might say Feast of Tabernacles. And if the Day of Atonement was a somber day, where they stood and they fasted and they watched as the priests brought the the lamb into the Holy of Holies. If that was a somber day, this was a day of great rejoicing. Just look at verses 40 and 41. And you shall take on the first day uh, the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees and boughs of, of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days of the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. They were to live in tents, essentially, lean-tos, these tabernacles, these booths. And this would serve as a perpetual reminder of their wilderness wanderings, which, again, at this point, they don't even really know about, Um, But it would also remind them of God's great mercy toward them that when they lived in tents, when they lived in tabernacles or or booths and were traveling through the wilderness, God himself, he not not only set up his own booth, his own tabernacle among them, Matthew Henry puts it like this, but with utmost care and tenderness imaginable, The Lord hung a canopy over them, even the cloud that sheltered them from the heat of the sun. God was with them as their God. This points directly at Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, and the word that is Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Year by year by year, these festivals and these these feasts, they, they pointed at the redemptive work of the Lord. They focused on what He has done for His people. And they serve as, as, as types and shadows, foreshadows of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. All of them, All of them together point ultimately to the new covenant promise of God for his people. And that new covenant promise, I think it's it's best summarized in Revelation 21 verse 3. This is what we are longing to hear. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. 
enter into your rest. Enter into the joy of your master where God dwells with his people for eternity. All of this points to that. Pray with me. Father, even as we come to the supper, as we eat this bread and drink from the cup, as we proclaim the death of Jesus Christ, we sometimes don't forget, we don't remember the significance. We forget the significance of what we're doing. The significance of what Christ has done. Remind us, Lord, each week that Christ has promised, that you have said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Remind us of the promise that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Remind us of the promise that Christ has redeemed us from this crooked and perverse generation and brought us into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, where we will behold his face face to face soon. Father, remind us that when we come and we eat and drink and that Christ is fasting from these things until he returns, remind us, Lord, that this is just a shadow of the marriage supper of the Lamb, of that, of that meal that we will have with Jesus Christ in eternity, the genuine fellowship with our Savior. And so, Father, as we come, we are thankful We are thankful for the bread and the cup. We are thankful for the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you have sent your only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, we rejoice in these things. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.